this is the 11th edition of the Lucky Go Variety Show. So welcome to the 11th edition. Today is a little special edition, just me here. And what we're going to do today is play back uh, some remastered versions of the story elements that are inside each of the episodes. So if you listen to the normal story episodes, what you'll find is that there's this two to three minute piece of story that's more like it's, well, it's, it's audio drama. Most of that has been to date uh, me reading those lines out. And so what I'm going to do, but, but we're actually, uh, we're, we're adding additional podcasting friends and voice actors that have been helping us out with that piece of it. That is a whole story to itself that is kind of the, uh, the undertone for the whole Centralia edition of our, our story here. And, and so it's a, actually a, an important part of the story overall, but I imagine a lot of you that, um, that are looking forward to some of the pieces that we have coming, uh, which we're really excited about because of the collaboration we've been able to have with some phenomenal shows and some, some phenomenal voice actors. You've heard some of those already, but we've got more of that kind of thing coming. And so I imagine a few of you would like to be able to listen uh, to some of those story snippets altogether. So what I've done is uh, re-read a lot of those lines uh, with our new audio setup and uh, have also added in additional effects um, and strung a number of them together with little transitions inside of them. So uh, these story elements are, are probably best for tween to teen age. There's nothing that's not clean in them, but we do cover the actual uh, we sort of fictionalize the actual history that took place from Centralia in the 1800s uh, time frame. And so you've got the Molly Maguires, you have um, uh, a, a courtroom, and you've got some, you know, some other things that go on. And it's, it's, it's history. It's a historical, obviously fictionalizes history. Uh, but there's some scary elements. It, the mood of it is not the same as what we have for uh, the main show. So it's a little bit, uh, you know, darker tones, I, I would say. So probably the youngest, youngest kids, probably not not the, the thing that they necessarily want to listen to, although uh, who knows, maybe they'll enjoy some piece. But you know, give it a listen. It's uh, This shouldn't be too long. We're going to do the first six uh, of those story episodes today. And, uh, and then we'll do another session where we do the next uh, six of those and start building toward the finale. So this is a, a bit of a recap of an episode. Also, wanted to mention uh, we had intended to get the rap battle here today. This was the date for the rap battle. And the rap battle, uh, we're, we're going to let uh, all the shows, because there's three different shows we're coordinating with, as well as our own, back to school, all that kind of stuff. Uh, we're going to give ourselves a little bit more time. We're going to do the rap battle. Don't worry. Little Fant, Lil Fant, sorry, uh, is just definitely doing the rap battle. Uh, the others have been working as well, but we all want to get uh, get that quality up because it's important to... Uh, to be sure that in the competition, uh, we're putting our best foot forward. So look for those. We don't have a specific date set, uh, but the rap battle is definitely coming. Until then, enjoy the story. This is The Resonance, Centralia, Chapter 1.
thunder rolls across the sky in a deep groan as rain punishes the wind-whipped trees. Mud spatters with each drop along the sodden wooded path. Crawling forward, a cloaked man presses a muddy hand to his side and looks up as rain streams from the hood that covers all but a graying beard. He's close now, close to the light ahead. He need only press on. It seems like hours pass in that grueling crawl, but he's made the clearing and the stone stoop of the large structure. A mountainous wooden door remains closed against the storm. The sanctuary was completed and christened only months ago, and so much has transpired since. He hears noises from behind. Could those be approaching hooves? Surely they thought they had finished their work when they left him crumpled in the brush. Three of them had appeared from nothing, an impossible thing. But that is past, now is the present, and he has a mission to complete. He breathes a heavy sigh as his hand touches cool stone. Just to the side of the door, the cornerstone. He presses his hand to it, and blessedly, the ring remains. Had they known what that could do? A blue-hued light and the stone opens like a compartment. With his remaining strength, he removes the ring with a thumb and drops it into the chamber. Then exhaustion and darkness sweep over him. The large meeting room with its heavy wooden table lay before her. Quiet as early morning light was only now beginning to illuminate objects within. Heavy curtains framed each of the six floor-to-ceiling windows on the right side. On the left, a massive inset bookcase, filled with dusty works of literature, policy, tax codes. This might be her only chance, but a mistake here could cost them everything. With no sound that she could detect, and time rapidly draining away, she softly and swiftly stole into the room heading toward the large object lying in the center of the table. As she reached the odd cylinder, she marveled at its smooth and rounded shape. A capsule meant to keep its contents safe over decades or more. It was open. A smattering of items within, a miner's helmet, clothing, odds and ends from the present time, mementos that would be joined by a photo taken this very morning in the coming ceremony. One last moment of hesitation. Then she withdrew the small pouch from the inner lining of her cloak, deftly opened a pocket on the miner's bib uniform within, then tucked and rebuttoned the pouch safely into the pocket. Her furtive eyes looked up, scanning the still empty room before moving smoothly and silently back, scanning the still empty room before moving smoothly and silently back to the door from which she had arrived. Was this the right thing to do?
only time would tell. Applying the charred cork to his face and arms like camouflage, the aging miner knew this to be a last-ditch effort to stave off the catastrophe that was coming to his hometown. Many of his fellow Mollies had been rounded up, and many more of the town folk had been taken into custody under the same pretense. This was all-out war, not the kind fought in the open with weapons, but a political battle that waged as long as there was master and servant. Before long, he was outside, having walked this path his whole life. He let his legs carry him by memory. Every stone, every root on the path, every rut was familiar, even in the darkness of this cloud-covered night. There wasn't a sound to be heard until he was almost to the edge of the path, leading down to the mine opening. And then, a slice of darkness opened in front of him. He had just enough time to pause and catch himself. Yet before he could register what was happening, something heavy shoved him from behind. The unexpected shock of it caused him to lurch forward, tilt into the window of darkness. And then he was tumbling, clawing for breath, his mind whirling, his skin tingling, his last thought of his failure just as unconsciousness embraced him. The cloaked figure remained for a moment, then lifted a hand, palm open toward the undulating vortex. Closing the palm to a fist, the darkness obeyed and folded out of existence. A single silvery ring worn on the middle finger glimmered dully as the figure turned and melted back into the darkness of the surrounding tree line. What most people don't understand about coal mining is that often more than half of available coal is left in the large pillars that keep the roof from collapsing. A crafty and careful miner can remove much of this remaining coal in what is referred to as pillar robbing. The big mining companies generally aren't the ones doing this kind of work, especially since whatever is above the mine is likely to collapse with the roof. No, the pillars are left to specialists like Alonzo Sanchez, sometimes referred to as bootleggers. But no matter what you call him, Alonzo was one of the best. This time, he'd been called over to take a look at something completely out of the ordinary. At the moment, Sanchez was trying to focus his headlamp down the shaft, but no matter what he did, he saw nothing but darkness. The men swore that two of their company had recently wandered down that shaft and disappeared. Likely, they were just trying to skip out on work. He was just about to take a step further into the shaft when an odd, slurping noise startled him to a pause. Just as he was about to call for more lights, a figure walked out of the darkness. And with the calmness of one on a casual stroll, said... Oi, Mr. Sanchez. I have an important task for you. 
a wasp buzzed menacingly overhead, its tiny wings beating the stagnant air of a tiny shack that leaned in its dilapidated state on the edge of the meadow. A thick pad of dust covered the interior, which included a single chair and a small table that rested against the thin wall nearest the shack's sole window. As it stood, the window framed a view of the stretching meadow beyond, rising from which could be seen the haze of summer heat over the tall grasses. A loud crack broke the silent scene, followed rapidly by a rolling concussive wave that shook the little shack, disturbing the many layers of dust which puffed into the air, obscuring the space within. After a moment, the dust began to settle around the shoulders of a darkly cloaked figure. He paused a moment to idly brush it away before taking hold of the latch, opening the door and striding off along the edge of the meadow. Then all returned to silence again, this time a note deeper as the lazy buzz of the wasp was no longer heard. Often, the things of greatest consequence begin in the smallest moments. The large steam shovel roared to life, billowing white clouds into the crisp morning air. The lean man stood back, hands on hips, to admire his prized possession. He constructed this largely by himself from his own designs, though he had managed to get a glimpse of the patent filed by the Otis family. Ever since the death of William, almost immediately following the invention of his prototype, that family had held tight control over their designs. But the machine that stood before him was a marvel of modern design, capable of doing the work of ten crews of men without tiring. This machine, he knew, would revolutionize the virgin coal fields of Pennsylvania and beyond. More important was the discovery he'd recently stumbled upon, that of near limitless energy. The thing had spooked him at first, with its terrible destructive power, but Gordon was a man of science. If something existed, there was an explanation for it. While it had taken months of planning, he had managed to trap the thing within the confines of the iron casing. All he needed now was to create a vacuum. Then, limitless energy. With a smile, he stepped to the center platform taking a seat on the lone center bench near the steering mechanism and gear controls. With a sputter and lurch, the great machine began its slow, noisy crawl across the meadow. Unaware of the figure hidden within the shadows just beyond the meadow's edge, Gordon Smith maneuvered his machine forward, dreams of wealth filling his daytime fantasies. The figure remained hidden until the machine had made its slow way across the meadow and beyond. This new development posed numerous questions and possibilities. After a moment's pause, the figure nodded as if having come to a decision, then stole swiftly after the vehicle and its driver. By the early 1800s, scientists such as John Dalton, 
recognized that the atmosphere was in fact composed of several chemically distinct gases, which he was able to separate and determine the relative amounts of within the lower atmosphere. This discovery began to pave the way for a whole new understanding of underground mining, while advancing new scientific discoveries in gas detection. Unfortunately, this discovery also paved the way for what would become the hallmark of World War I, chemical warfare. By the early 1950s, two scientists working at Bell Laboratories gave the first demonstration that some semiconductor materials modify their resistance depending on the atmosphere with which they are in contact. Similar discoveries were made in relation to metal oxides such as zinc oxide, where its semiconducting properties were modified with a change in the partial pressure of oxygen or other gases in the surrounding atmosphere. These discoveries would significantly advance the safety of operating in and around areas susceptible to the sudden release of dangerous gases. It was for this reason that the lean figure of a woman stood at the lip of the landfill pit. She had brought with her an assembly of gas detection equipment for use in the swirling wisps of smoke now emanating from fissures in the north wall of the pit below. Unfortunately, her tests would prove that the gases seeping from the large hole in the pit wall and from the cracks in the north wall contained carbon monoxide, concentrations typical of coal mine fires. But that wasn't the only reason she was here. As her eyes finished a final sweep of the pit, they alighted upon a vacuum-sealed container, to which a tube had been affixed along with varying measuring instruments and dials. It was surprisingly small for its capabilities. This specific instrument could not only measure the specific amounts of gases present in a given radius, it could also make changes to the atmosphere. And yet, and yet, she thought to herself, we still use our canaries. episode each Monday. The Happy-Go-Lucky Podcast is a proud member of the new and upcoming Podicon Go Podcasting Network, a podcast network dedicated to creating and publishing family-friendly content. Learn more online at happygolucky.com. Lucky is spelled L-U-K-K-Y. And hey, if you're interested in advertising with us or sponsoring content on an episode, head on over to thecrosspods.com, where you can reserve your ad space Content must be clean because this is a family-friendly podcast. You can also support the show as a patron. Just check us out at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash 
LuckyGo, L-U-K-K-Y-G-O, which is where you'll also find us on all your favorite social media channels. Again, thanks for listening. We'll see you right back here for our next story episode this coming Monday.